I want you to join me in prayer this morning. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your word. We pray that as we unpack your word this morning, that you would find us to be uh, listeners, to be responsive, and to be obedient to what you've called us to do. Not obedience out of reluctance, Lord, but obedience out of joy. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 2020. Hadn't it been fun so far? Yeah. COVID, hurricanes, wildfires. We get weather alerts from Greeley because we go there to visit our kids. And, you know, every day they're popping up with an air quality alert because of the wildfires and the the smoke that's in the air. I saw a thing on uh, Facebook the other day. It was a cartoon. It wasn't a cartoon. It was a picture of a cow jumping over something and the guy driving down the road. And the guy driving down the road said, well, normally I might stop and check this out, but it's 2020. So, you know, there you go. Um, all kinds of uh, bad news out there. It, what I've noticed, though, along the way in my <clears throat> short lifespan is that, uh, that's not funny, um, is that there's really no shortage of bad news, but we also seem to, to kind of key in on it or focus in on it. Our attention is drawn to bad news sometimes in ways that I don't think it's always drawn to good news, which strikes me as a little strange, but nonetheless, there it is. Uh, Folks have tried to make a go of uh, news sources in the past that focus exclusively on good news, and they could never make it work. There was a a website called PositivePress.com. There was a publication called True Life, and their their entire focus was on good news. Um, uh, And uh, they went uh, bankrupt. And if you have, like I have on my computer, on my Microsoft Edge uh, homepage, there's a news feed and there's options across the top of the page. And one of those options is good news, which hardly ever gets any hits of any kind from anybody. It's a weird, weird thing. What's going on there? I think part of it is, at least part of it is, it's the byproduct of our, our human nature, this kind of sinful... Uh, nature that takes sometimes more delight in evil than in good. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says this, though, about believers in Jesus. Love does not delight in evil, but I think it takes an intentional focus. It takes some effort to set aside this this fixation we sometimes have on the negative. Because you and I, as believers in Jesus, we are supposed to be actively seeking good. And that's what the passage we're going to plug into this morning talks about. We're going to listen into the Apostle Paul talk about one of his closest friends, in fact, his protege and one of his protégés in ministry. He's going to commend this young man whose name is Timothy. He's going to commend him because of Timothy's capacity to be an agent of encouragement. So the passage we're in this morning is in the book of Philippians chapter 2. Verses 19 through 24, if you're watching at home, just go to the, to the right of the picture and uh, you can find a Bible translation option there. You can uh, flip open your phone and whatever app you have and uh, words will be up on the screen as well. The Apostle Paul is writing these words, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself 
because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. One of the things I love about this passage, and the first thing that pops out at me, is that in verse 19, Timothy is a sender of good news. When he shows up, the Apostle Paul knows that he's going to be this agent of encouragement. He's going to share some good things that have been happening in the lives of the people with whom Timothy has been connected. Good news bearers, people who bear good news, man, I think they're in short supply. And particularly in the year 2020, people who bear good news, they're just a bit of a rare bird, I think. Have you ever taken your car to the repair shop, right? Car repairmen, I love them to death when they help me out to fix my cars, but they inevitably bring bad news. Have you ever had a car repairman walk up to you with a giant smile on his face and say, there's nothing wrong with your car, everything's great? No, that's not what they do. But Paul knew, Paul knew that if he sent Timothy and and if there were good things going on in Philippi, that Timothy would report on it. He'd bring good news. That the news would, Paul says, cheer him up. And when he uses this word here in this passage, it's a word that's used only one time in the entirety of the New Testament in the original language. It's a word that was even more rare in the classical Greek that preceded the New Testament Greek. The root of this word is the word soul, S-O-U-L. It's, it's, it's talking about words that reach into the depth of somebody's spirit and encourage them. Warms the spirit when you hear these words. I've shared with you before that I used to snowboard uh, back when my center of gravity was in a different place than it is now. And one of the things I really loved about snowboarding was, yes, the exhilarating ride down the hill, but getting to the bottom of the hill taking the snowboard off, making my way into the lodge at the bottom of the hill, and getting a nice big steaming mug of hot chocolate. Because it would warm my spirit. It would warm my body. It would have this, this, this impact of reaching into the corners of my cold fingers and warming me up. And when Paul talks about Timothy here and the way Timothy speaks to people, that's the kind of encouragement he's talking about, this passion, this particular quality he has to to speak words that speak into people's lives and just warm their souls and warm their spirits. Paul knows that with Timothy on the job, his spirit's going to be warmed. But it's equally important to notice, I think, that Timothy is what I'm going to call this morning a rare bird. He is in verses 20 and 21. He's a genuinely selfless spirit. Back in the year 2011, which seems like a really, really, really long time ago now, there was a movie that came out called The Big Year. I don't know if you saw this film. This film was about three guys who were in this competition to spot the most rare birds in the course of the year. They'd win some kind of prize. I don't know if it was a baked chicken or what. But anyway... They'd win this prize. And even in our day and time, you can sign up for the North America Rare Bird Alert. And they have this website where you sign up to have them call you or text you if they spot the rare bird of your choice in your area. I wonder if we can sign up 
for the rare bird of the encourager. To have them spot that rare bird and let us know when they're in our area. But we're going to have to unpack this a little bit. And I'm going to take it in a slightly different order than it comes in the passage itself. What does a rare bird look like? What does a Timothy look like? What does an encourager look like? This is a person, verse 21, the second part is of verse 21, 21, excuse me, who is genuinely looking out for the interests of Jesus. Not just curiosity, not just mild interest, but looking after that interest, investing in that interest. If you haven't noticed, if you haven't noticed, we are in the middle of an election season, if you haven't noticed. It's always struck me, from the time I could vote the first time, it always struck me as really interesting that sometimes the people who have the loudest opinions about the political environment are people who do not vote. If you're actually interested in the political environment, you vote. If you're actually interested in looking out for the interests of Jesus, you act on them. And in this particular passage, for this particular person, in this particular way, it's by acting out by being an encourager. An encourager in verse 20 has genuine interest in others' welfare. Here, the Paul calls it the interests of Jesus Christ, which is this same thing we find in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22, right? Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's the interests of Jesus, that we love God and that we love people. And Timothy is that kind of guy. He's that kind of dude. He's that kind of person. He steps up. He's interested in the interests of Jesus. He's focused on what Jesus is focused on. He's attending to those things that Jesus has called important. There are other people noted in verse 21. People who look out for, number one, their own interests. Have you noticed this trend in magazine titles over the last couple of decades? Back in the ancient era, there were the magazines called Life and Look. Some of you remember those magazines, right? And then along came the magazine People, which is all right. It's about, you know, more than one person. And then there was the magazine titled Us, which keeps we, but it excludes them, And then there was a magazine entitled Self, which is really narrowing in now on the focus of most people's attention. And finally, finally, the magazine Me. Isn't that the world we encounter on a most regular basis? People who operate generally focused exclusively on their own interests, their own desires, their own needs. But that's not Timothy. Timothy is an encourager. He is looking after the interests of others. He's looking after the interests that Jesus has focused on, other people's welfare. In fact, when I was, you know, putting this together... Um, There's a website that's about to be populated. It's allaboutme.com. And a who to thunk. And yet, isn't it a natural outgrowth 
of our tendency and our our culture's tendency to be exclusively focused on those things that impact us the most. It's also important in this passage to note in verse 22 that that Timothy had proven himself along the way. He was no fly-by-night, you know, Johnny-come-lately, whatever kind of person. He had served in the work of the gospel with the Apostle Paul. Served in the gospel. Served in the gospel. The sphere of their partnership and the focus of the relationship was partnership in the gospel. Now, the word gospel here is a comprehensive message. It's a comprehensive word. It's talking about certainly extending the message of salvation in Christ, but everything that comes with that, everything that comes with that. These two guys had served in the gospel. And because they had done that, along the way, verse 22 makes it really clear, they had developed a very close connection. Now, who is this guy, Timothy? This young guy, Timothy. Timothy's a native of a city called Lystra. He was the son of a a Greek man and a Jewish woman. He was probably converted to Christianity on Paul's first missionary journey. He became a companion of Paul and Silas on their second uh, missionary journey. Um, Timothy, in order to avoid conflict with Jews in the city of Jerusalem, when he went back there with the Apostle Paul, Paul had him circumcised as an adult. Not a fun day for Timothy. He was sent to Thessalonica to encourage the church there. Timothy was, and then to Macedonia and Corinth, and goes to Jerusalem with Paul, takes up a collection for the church in Jerusalem. He is a guy who has been working really closely with the Apostle Paul. Their life connection was fixed around the person and work of Jesus. I have uh, noticed this about churches along the way. We do lots of stuff sometimes. Um, I've been on church softball teams, gone to church cookouts, church fellowship meals. Eating comes up a lot most of the time in church environments for some reason. And that's all right. Eating together is a good thing when you don't have to wear a mask. But... One thing I've noticed along the way, and the people with whom I have forged the tightest connections, have been people with whom I've been able to partner in ministry efforts undertaken together. It has amazed me. God's capacity to knit together people who are otherwise so different from each other, who would never voluntarily in any other setting choose to hang out with each other. Here's my favorite story about that. We went from the church in Colorado to the Navajo Nation in uh, New Mexico to do uh, some mission work over the course of a couple of weeks. We had a crew that went down that constructed a church building, and then we had a crew of young people who went down to do a vacation Bible school, Pastor Laura's favorite thing on the planet, vacation Bible school over the course of a couple of weeks. I used to say to the gang, listen, we got some folks building the church building, but we're going to be building the church with the Vacation Bible School. Now, here's the thing. Dear friend of mine who's since passed away, gone to be with Jesus, his name was Bob. Bob was a church treasurer. And he was, a, was not a winsome, pleasant fellow like our church treasurer. Bob was a little bit of a curmudgeon. In fact, 
He was downright grumpy sometimes. One day we had a youth activity at the church, and uh, we had a band playing up there. I was there, and Bob came in, uh, and he was going to do something, but he heard the noise in the sanctuary, the worship center, so he came in, and he was really ticked off. That's not the word he used. He was really ticked off because some of the young people, while they were listening to the music that was kind of rock and rollish, they were standing on the chairs, waving their hands while they were worshiping. Bob went to Grumpster Level 10. He proceeded to tell me how unhappy he was about this situation and, and how uh, useless these young people were and didn't they respect this, this furniture and what were they doing in the house of God behaving like that? And he got about mm, a third of the way into his tirade, which I knew was going to go on for a very long time. And I said, stop. Here's what we're going to do, Bob. In a month, we're going to go on a mission trip. Remember, we're going to build the church building and we're going to do vacation Bible school. Here's what we're going to do, Bob. You're coming with us. And not only are you coming with us, Bob, but you're going to bring your RV, which was about 453 feet long. You're going to bring your RV and you're going to prepare the supper every day for the young people doing the vacation Bible school. Now, Bob took a little persuading. But eventually he agreed to come and do this, which I thought was, you know, here's a miracle from Jesus right here. So we did, we went, and he prepared supper for these young people every day for two weeks. At the end of that two-week period of time, there was no bigger champion in the church for those young people than crusty old curmudgeonly Bob. Why? Because their relationship was not based on artificial uh, circumstances or superficialities. No, now their relationships were based on partnership in the gospel, partnership in ministry. There was no bigger champion in that church for those young people than Bob. Do not get between Bob and those young people after that. Mm-mm, don't you even try. That's what the gospel can do. That's what partnership in ministry does. It can take people who are so different in their life experience, in their age, in their societal standing, and all that stuff. It can cast all that stuff aside and bring people together to accomplish stuff for Jesus. I, I uh, don't know why it is that sometimes we tend to avoid that potential for connection. Why sometimes it seems to me we're satisfied for living up here at a superficial level, when down here, partnership in the gospel, that's where it's at. That's where connection is. That's where encouragement is. That's where Jesus is. I had an appendectomy when I went to Africa the first time. I think I've told you that story. It was way fun. Um, but here's what the thing you notice about uh, surgery, particularly on the, in the abdominal area. By the way, the scar for my appendectomy looks it's about this long. It's not the orthoscopic surgery that they do here with the two little holes and go in there and fix it up. No, no, it looked like a shrapnel wound. But there's two levels of stitching going on when they sew you back up. There's the interior level, 
which is really, really important to make sure that everything is put back the way it needs to be put back. And then there's the exterior level, the skin level, which is, you know, in some surgeries, designed to look pretty good when they're done, but in my case, it didn't quite work out that way. But see, here's the thing. The, 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 the social stuff that people do, even in the body of Christ, the social stuff, that's the skin level connection. The partnership in the gospel that Paul is talking about with Timothy here, this, that results in encouragement, that's the deeper level connection. And so that's one reason, this ministry connection is one reason why Paul goes out of his way to praise this young guy named Timothy. To people that already knew him, I can imagine the recipients of this letter going, and when Paul praises Timothy and his capacity for encouragement, them going, well, of course, that's Timothy. We, Tim, he's the encourager guy. We know that. Why does Paul do that? He go, why does he go out of the way to do that? Because Paul knows the power of genuine and sincere praise, both on the person who is worthy of the praise and on the, the effect of, those, on that, of that praise on the people around that person. Research tells us that dissatisfied customers will typically tell anywhere from 9 to 15 to 20 other people that they were ticked off, again, not their words, usually by the service encounter that they had. People who are actually encouraged or satisfied with the service, eh, they'll tell a couple, three or four people. Isn't that upside down? Isn't that exactly backwards? Sadly, though, I think sometimes... It's true in the church as well. So this portion of this letter is a reminder to me, to us, that we too should be in the business of of, of encouraging and praising those people in whom we see servant's heart and people who are cooperating with God's plan. Well, before we jump off this thing, I think it's really important that we need to ask ourselves where this passion and where this ability to be an encouragement comes from. Because we cannot, we cannot, we cannot generate this on our own. This comes from hanging out with Jesus. I could always tell when my kids were in high school, I could always tell when they came home with whom they had been hanging out. I could tell if they'd been hanging out with those people who fueled their better selves or if they'd been hanging out with those who fueled their not-so-better selves. I could always tell with whom they had been hanging out. If we regularly hang out with Jesus, if we have a flourishing relationship with him, then from that connection comes this overflow, this capacity to be an encouragement, a blessing to others. Paul says this, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Paul doesn't say you can make up put on a happy face and snap your fingers and make everything wonderful and somehow be an encourager to other people. It just doesn't work that way. Our capacity to encourage, it flows from the encouragement that God has already packed into our lives. I can't tell you 
how many surgical waiting rooms I've been in over the years with parishioners from various churches. I've lost count. And there's always that moment, right? When the physician comes out, the surgeon comes out, there's that moment of suspense. Because you don't know what kind of news they're going to bring. So when you and I, when when we approach people, is there suspense about the kind of news we're going to bring? Is there an experience-based expectation that it's going to be bad news that we bring? Or have we been such, so immersed in our relationship with Jesus that they know when they see us coming that, man, this is going to be a moment of encouragement? What do they think when we, when we approach them? What do they think when you approach them? Pray with me this morning.